Welcome to Buy the Books, the podcast helping business owners navigate the complex world of business, tax, and bookkeeping. Now, to the owner and president of Secline, Lindsay Klein. Thanks for joining us, everyone. This is Lindsay Klein with Secline, honest, accurate bookkeeping performed on time. I'm here today with John DeLucci, who is an enrolled agent. He is the owner of the DeLucci CPA firm, along with his daughter and a certified tax resolution specialist with over 15 years of experience. Thank you for joining me today. My pleasure, Lindsay. So you had joined us a while back now. We recorded an episode together and that was like how to keep out of trouble, right? Yes, correct. That's what that one was. So this episode, we're going to talk about what to do when you're already in trouble, right? Yes, yes, yes. You didn't listen to the first one, so now you're in trouble. So now how do we get you out of trouble? <laughs> exactly. So this is what happens when you're already in knee deep with the IRS and you need to get out of it. Yes. Absolutely. And you help people with this pretty often, right? It's all I do. Is it really? That's yeah. all you do literally is just mm-hmm. help people with their IRS troubles. Yes. So I guess then you are talking to the IRS on the daily. Yes. And you still Multiple have a times will to a day. live. <laughs> it's a miracle. It, it can be stressful sometimes. <laughs> Do they actually pick up the phone these days? Uh, well, you have to wait and hold a long time. I would imagine. Yeah. I yeah. have heard that. I've heard people say you have to call like l- late Friday afternoon and maybe you'll get in. Yeah. If you're talking to ACS, which is, you know, those are the guys on the phones. Mm. Uh, when you're dealing with appeals officers and revenue officers, it's a little different. You're calling uh, You're calling a person specifically. Ah, uh, okay. Maybe they pick up the phone. Maybe they don't. You leave a voicemail and they get back to you hopefully in a few days, maybe a week. Oh, wow. Okay, so a very slow process, I would imagine. Yes, yes. I mean, fact, I would imagine that's the first thing people need to expect is that this is going to take a while. It's incredibly bad with the taxpayer advocate, unfortunately. Mm. I mean, for example, with them, and that's who you call when nothing else is working correctly. Um, I mean, they have it right on their voicemail. You know, leave a voicemail, I'll get back to you in four weeks. Four weeks. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they're way undermanned. COVID has made it worse. Um, it's bad. Yeah. Okay. So somebody gets this letter. They they get that dreaded letter where it's got the IRS in the corner and you feel mm-hmm. that, that horrible sinking dread of what is inside this thing. And then they realize the IRS is saying that whether it's their fault or not, they owe money. Yes. And they call you, John. What do you do? What do you tell them? Well, the first thing we look at is, do you really owe the money? Okay. Okay. Because just because the IRS said you owe the money doesn't necessarily mean that you do. You know, so for, you're saying the IRS makes mistakes? Surely well, not. That happens Surely from, not. That happens from time to time. I can't believe it, John. But let me explain a couple situations okay. where they have an incorrect understanding of whether you owe or not. Okay. And it's not their mistake. I mean, for example, audits at a large percent of a very large percent percentage of audits, people just don't show up. Hmm. So then the IRS just says, great. It's ours. All the income, no expenses deducted, and here's your bill. And so then you're in a situation where, yeah, they're saying you owe the money, but really if you submit all the accurate information, you don't, or hmm. you don't know as much. Okay, so that makes sense. But yeah. there are, I assume, some cases where it's legitimately all a mistake of the IRS, right? Well, another situation 
is when, let's say, for example, you sold a bunch of stocks. Okay. All right. You sold a stock for four hundred dollars. Okay. Well, the IRS knows because guess now this is different today, but there's still some left. This some of this left over from the past. Okay. Is that the IRS would know that you sold the stock for four hundred dollars, but they don't know that you bought it for three hundred ninety. So they send you a letter saying, hey, you owe taxes on the 400, when in reality, once you submit to them the proof that you bought it for 390, you owe taxes on $10. Right, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So those okay. are a couple examples of where, you know, the IRS thinks you owe money, but you don't, or you don't owe as much. So as a side tangent, this seems like a great time to bring up how people should keep their documentation. Absolutely, in fact, the Biggest reason far and away why people lose at audits is they don't keep the receipts. They don't mm. keep the proof. See, you heard it. You've been hearing it from me, viewers and listeners, but now you're hearing it from John, who actually deals with the IRS. Yeah, keep absolutely. Keep your documents, keep your receipts. Yeah, and don't just keep them, scan them in. Because yes. a lot of the receipts these days, they're on this different type of paper with ink. And so after a couple of years, they just fade away and you got a blank piece of paper. Yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. So yes, I'm a huge advocate of having it cloud-based, backed mm -hmm. up, yes, so that you never absolutely. lose it. Electronic, backed up, yes. The accountants cloud is get best. it. We get it. Yeah. Yeah. But mainly because people like you have seen the ramifications and how much mm -hmm. it can cost not to have that piece of paper. Yes. So, all right. So let's say you get that letter and realize you legitimately owe it. It's some mistake you made, mm -hmm. maybe your staff made, and yeah, the IRS is right. Then what? Well, okay, I'm gonna talk about that in a second. Okay. For a minute, I'm gonna back up just a little bit okay. to talk about a couple things you could do if you look at it and say, wait a minute, I don't owe this money. Okay. Okay, so for example, you didn't, you didn't attend the audit or you brought your receipts and the IRS auditor just said, well, I'm not counting any of those, okay. Well, one of the things you can do is what's called an audit reconsideration. Okay, you audit submit a reconsideration. reconsideration. Okay. Yes, you submit a package of documents similar to what you would as an audit, but it, it goes to a different group of people. Now, does this mean you've already been through an audit and now you're asking for a reconsideration of that audit that was done? Well, that's the plan for how it works. Although I, I have seen situations where you haven't been through an audit. Um, you know, maybe it was a CP2000 where they just, they had a document mismatch or something of that nature. Or you find, you've been through the audit, you didn't find your receipts in time, but then you find them later. Okay. 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 You can submit that as part of an audit reconsideration and okay. get them to reevaluate. If you don't get the result you like, you can file an appeal. Okay. So that's one. Another one is an offering compromise, doubt as to liability. That's where you're saying, hey, IRS, I don't really owe this money, but eh, what the heck, I'll give you $100 to get rid of the, uh, the rest of the balance. But hmm. like an audit, you have to prove, you have to present some proof that you don't owe the money. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah. you've got this reconsideration. Yes. What's that process look like? Well, it's very similar to an audit. You know, you're you're submitting information to prove that you don't owe the money. So it's right? just audit 2.0? Basically. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but is it a different group of people that handle these re rec or, uh, reconsiderations? That it, You know, it can be, or it could go back to the same auditor. So it could go either oh, way funny. on that. Okay. Yeah. All right. So basically, it's just, we're going to try this again. 
Take yeah. two. Yeah, it's look here. Um, uh, you know, I didn't have the information before. You know, here it is. I had one situation, for example, where a client came to me, a potential client came to me. They owed three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. Okay, after they'd been through an audit of three years, and. You know, they asked me what I could do for them. And I said, well, I don't know. Okay. I have to look through your boxes of stuff. And most of what had happened is that the Iris auditor was just too lazy to put it all together. I mean, the, the, the taxpayer, you know, most taxpayers, they're not particularly good at this detailed stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't really organized very well. And the auditor looks at the five or six boxes and says, well, I'm not going to do anything with that. Right. So nothing happened with it. So there was. Uh, so gosh. is presentation? It sounds like presentation matters. It does. It absolutely does. And and doing it in such a way that reduces the amount of work for the auditor. I mean, for example, what we did in that situation, we took all the expenses, we put them into separate piles, we ran a uh, a tape on every single one. We had a spreadsheet. Okay, so the spreadsheet for every type of expense, it would list you know how much it was, what it was, etc. And then we would we had a total for each one. And, you know, it's all bound together, each separate se separate category. We did that. We brought it to the auditor. Actually, it was a different auditor. The case got reassigned. And he looked at it and went through it. He, he did some spot checking is what he did. But we walked out of there with an installment agreement for $25,000. And what was the original? $325,000. Oh, wow. Okay. So he reduced it by $300,000 just yeah. simply by organizing the documents. Part of it, yes. Another part was there was about $150,000 worth of advertising expenses. This guy hit a carpet cleaning business. So he, uh, he advertised in the Yellow Pages a lot. Well, that's expensive. Mm -hmm. And the auditor just, for whatever reason, just said he didn't count it. And he said, well, that's not a necessary expense. He just didn't count it. And it's like, wow. wait a minute. It's, it says right here on, mm -hmm. on the bank statement, Yellow Pages. And I mean, was how, it because he didn't have an invoice or a receipt to back up that expense? I, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but uh, it was pretty clear that it uh, it was a valid expense. I mean, he's hmm. advertising his business. He spent the money, but the auditor just didn't count it. Now, Interesting. This, the second one did, so that made a big difference. So making it as easy as possible for that auditor to see those expenses, to see the backup for those expenses, that'll help. Yes, really in pretty much all situations. Okay. Because all of these employees are, are way overworked. Okay? Mm -hmm. Congress has been cutting their budget and cutting their budget. And the, the typical revenue officer has twice as many cases assigned to them as what their maximum limit is supposed to be. Wow. They're all way overworked. So if you put something in front of them that's just a big bunch of slop, okay, mm. they're not going to be happy with you. And they're probably taking the path of the least resistance, like path that Path of audit, least yeah, resistance. Which is just, you owe it. Or the alternative path, there was one revenue officer that I, I know, he used to wear a button on his on his coat when he'd go visit taxpayers that said, piss me off, pay the consequences. <laughs> I remember you telling me that story. Yeah. I would hate to see that on an auditor. <laughs> you know, they don't they don't wear the button, but that is the attitude. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, try to make it easier on them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I would imagine being nice goes a long way in those circumstances. Because they probably get yelled at a lot. Yes. Yes. And okay. the trick is to be nice, but also being assertive. Right. You have to you have to look up, stand, stand up for ground. the stand up for the rights of your clients, but very polite, very right. professional. Right. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's say you get into that room, you're able to talk to them, you're able to organize your documents and legitimize everything. Mm -hmm. 
what goes on from there? Is it just a conversation, a negotiation? How does how do those conversations typically go? Well, in the case of an audit reconsideration or an often compromised Dallas liability, or even an amended return, you put it together, you mail it in to the appropriate department, okay. and then it gets considered, <clears throat> reviewed, et cetera, and you know, X number of months later, they come back and send you a letter with the result. And then how do you ever get your documents back or do they keep No, those? no. And that's a, that's a good question because when you send something to the IRS, only send copies. Never send originals I was say, because you won't get them back. I was going to say, you probably never see that again. You won't. And okay. you know what's worse? You send them originals and they lose them. Oh, no. And if you didn't make copies... Yeah, you're you're in a lot of trouble. Okay, there. so they will accept photocopies then. Yes, okay. they'll accept photocopies. Okay, that's good to know. So mm -hmm. keep your originals, send photocopies, organize them. Yes. Okay. What other tips do you have for somebody in this situation? Well, with regards to trying to prove that you don't really owe the money, that's at a high level. That's that's it. Okay. I mean, I've got a separate presentation where I compare the, the pros and the cons of, of amended uh, return, audit reconsideration, and often compromised Dallas liability because they're all a little bit different. And depending on your situation, one may be better than the other. Okay. Um, but now back to your original question with, with regards, okay, you got to notice you owe the money. What do you do next? Well, the single most important thing is to stop the bleeding. The IRS mm -hmm. will not talk to you at all until you are current on current this year's taxes. Mm. Okay, The bleeding has to stop. That's first. That's most important above all else. Okay, So once you do that, then it becomes a matter of, okay, have you filed all the relevant tax returns? All right. Now, the, the standard is that the IRS wants uh, the last six years of tax returns. Okay, That's the minimum. Six. The last six. Only. Only the last six. Now, it's possible they'll ask for more, but that's very uncommon. All right. Hmm. The, uh, the offer specialist, the revenue officer, they have to ask for special permission in order to go past six years. So for some reason, I was thinking they could only go back three years. Well, three years has to do with an audit. Okay. Okay. So you file your tax return and they want to audit your return. They've got three years. Okay. But they can still review your tax return for six. Oh, we're not talking about reviewing the tax return. We're talking about, let's say for the last six years, you haven't filed any returns. Oh. Or you filed one, let's say you filed two returns out of the last six, but you got four that you haven't filed. Well, the IRS is not going to get into any type of agreement with you, installment agreement, offer, otherwise, until you get the last six years all filed. I see. Okay. So this yeah. relates to actually filing it. Yes. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. So they want six years completely caught up before they'll even talk to you. Correct. So in the meantime, what's happening with those penalties? Is it just accruing interest? and? Well, on the existing balances, yes. Penalties okay. and interest continue to accrue. But they're not going to work out any kind of payment plan or deal with you until you've gotten caught up on your taxes. That is correct. Okay. All right. So once you get that caught up, then what's the next step for the taxpayer? Well, then you're talking about trying to figure out what what resolution works the best for you, okay? Because there are a number of them, all right? I mean, bankruptcy, for example. And I'm not going to talk about that a lot, but I will mention, because there are a lot of people, even some bankruptcy attorneys who don't know, you can discharge taxes in bankruptcy. Really? I didn't yes. know that. I didn't think those ever went away. Yeah, no, you can. Now, there's special criteria as far as which ones you're allowed to discharge and which ones you aren't. So income taxes are the ones you can discharge, 
but they have to have a certain have to be a certain age old, right? I mean, it has to be at least three years since it was it was due to be filed, and a couple other criteria as well. Then you could discharge those from uh, you know from having to pay them. Um, there are other types of taxes that are not dischargeable in bankruptcy. Okay, trust fund taxes, for example. That's not dischargeable in bankruptcy. Hmm. Basically, that's the part of the employment taxes that uh, are the employee's money. So when you withhold uh, in income taxes for the employee, okay, that plus the employee's half of Social Security and Medicare, that's the employee's money. And the employer is being trusted to hand it over to the federal government. That and makes if, sense. And if you don't, then the owner is personally liable for that money. That makes and you sense. cannot okay. discharge that in bankruptcy. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's good to know. So what are some other strategies people might take when they're in this situation? Other if they don't want to do bankruptcy and go down that road. Uh, well, there are a number of them and I'll start to go through them. It, another interesting point with regards to bankruptcy is that sometimes, even though you can't discharge the taxes, a bankruptcy can still be useful in terms of resolving the tax situation. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I've got a whole two-hour presentation on that. Interesting. Yes. All right. Um, and the other thing to point out is with bankruptcy is that sometimes it's not an either-or. It's not a bankruptcy or an offer. Sometimes it's a bankruptcy and an offer. Oh, hmm. okay. okay. Or, for example, you have to get past certain time postmarks in order to be able to discharge the taxes. So maybe you get into an installment agreement Okay, protects you from collection action, but the clock keeps running, so you get past those postmarks, and then you can file a bankruptcy. Mm. So sometimes it's a combination approach of those two. But if you're going to, uh, if if you're not going to be considering bankruptcy, then you're looking at okay. So what's next? Installment agreements, okay, would be the next thing to look at. There are many different types of installment agreements. Okay, okay. There's what you call your standard or streamlined installment agreements. Essentially, that is, okay, you take the amount that you owe, divided by 72, there's your payment. Now, it's a little more complex than that. If you owe less than $25,000, then there won't be any lien filed, okay? You know, whether you, when you before the installment agreement or after, there will so not be a tax lien, lien filed. Does that mean the IRS has put a lien on your bank accounts, for example? Yeah, a tax lien. And actually, the tax lien applies to all your assets. So it could be your house? Everything. And so what does that mean in practice? If, if the IRS has put a lien on your bank account, for example, what does that mean? Does that mean you no longer have access to that bank account? Well, with the bank account, they, they have a lien on, on the money inside the account, but that doesn't impact your ability to spend it. Okay. Okay. So um, why does anyone care if there's a lien on it? most uh the situations where it impacts most is in real estate okay okay if there's a tax lien out there for a hundred thousand dollars and you've got a hundred thousand dollars worth of equity in your house if you sell it you're not getting paid anything mm. it all goes to the irs okay so that's the situation where it most impacts uh but the lien gives them the right to do all sorts of other things on any asset that you have it could be intangible assets all right, could be your your rights to uh, royalty proceeds from a book that you wrote. And what about, let's say, insurance proceeds? If you were to get a life insurance settlement or something like that, can they seize that? 
yeah. The okay. IRS can seize whatever they want to seize. Okay. Yeah. Now, there's a cycle of notices they have to go through first okay. before they legally have the right to take levy action. But there really are no exemptions for the IRS. I mean, there's a, like for bankruptcy, there's a million dollar exemption for your IRA. There's a homestead exemption. There's nothing like that for the IRS. Mm. They can take anything and everything. And I would assume if you are owed any type of refund from the IRS, they're just going yeah, to you're apply not gonna, it. You're, you're, you're not going to get yeah, it. Yeah, they're just going to apply it to that balance, right? Yes, that is correct. Okay. That is correct. So you're not going to see anything from the IRS so long as you owe them money. As long as you owe them money, that is correct. Okay. And what about recently through the pandemic, there's been a lot of these child tax credits and employee retention credits and all of that the people that owed the IRS or maybe were making these installment plans, was all of that just going towards their balance as well? I think so. Okay. Now when it comes to things like employee tax credits, I don't do tax returns. So I don't know all the nitty gritty details about that one. Okay. But you know, our, our CPA would. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so other types of installment agreements. Okay. If you owe between 25 and $50,000, then let's say you have a tax lien. You get that installment agreement. It has to be direct debit. They will not release the tax lien. But if they haven't filed a tax lien yet and you get the installment agreement, they won't file one. It has hmm. to be direct debit, but they won't file a tax lien. Interesting. Now, over 50000 they will. 50000 up to 250000 you can file a standard or streamlined installment agreement and basically balance divided by 72 Although, actually, there's, there is a caveat on that. There is a, a, something that came out recently. They will let you make payments across the remainder of what's called the CSED, the collection statute expiration date. So, the IRS can chase a tax debt for 10 years. So, you know, 72 is six years, right? But, for example, you could request, you could say, well, look, I'd like to make payments across the statute, and potentially those payments would be spread out across 10 years. Oh, okay. Yeah, so lowers the balances a lot. Yeah. But between 50 and 250, they will file a tax lien. No matter what. No matter There's what. There's no way to avoid it. There's no way to avoid it. There is a way to withdraw it, and we'll talk about that later, but there's no way to avoid them filing one. And then between 250 and a million... This is all with ACS, okay? This is the guys on the phones. Okay. Um, now, it used to be to, to call the guys on the phones, the limit was somewhere on hundred dollars to $200,000. Now it's a million. Wow. But between two hundred fifty and a million, you have to provide financial information. On an ongoing basis? No, just once. Okay. Okay. To determine how much you can realistically pay. I see. Okay. Yeah. And once you, once you provide financial information, there are a number of results that could come out of that. One is that they could look at the financial information and instead of uh, dividing by 72 or, or saying, oh, well, you can spread this across 10 years, they could come up and say, wait a minute, you can afford to pay this in three years. So you're mm. going to pay in three years because your financials say you can afford to pay it. All right. So they're basing it on what you're bringing in. They're basing it on how much income you're making. Can you realistically pay more? You know, uh, if you're above 250, then they could potentially say, yes, you're going to pay more. Now, a couple other possible results are a step-up installment agreement. And that's kind of a variation of streamline, actually. And what that means is that you start with some sort of low payment, and then it steps up. Mm. So you could say, okay. So it gets higher over time. Yeah. So, you, you know, I'm going to pay $1,000 a month for the first year. I'm going to pay $2,000 a month for the second year. And then for the third year, it's, for the rest of the agreement, it steps up to $3,000 a month. 
Okay, that's an example of a step-up installment agreement. But back to the financials-based types, there's what's called a partial pay installment agreement. So I'll give you an example. I had a client who owed, it was a trucker, truck driver. He owed $125,000 to the IRS. Wow. And we got him an installment agreement of $25 a month. $25 a month. Yeah, because that's what the financials said he could realistically afford to pay. Wow. He's seven years old. He's only working as part-time security guard. He's living in a one-bedroom efficiency. He has hardly so any money. So it seems like those taxes would never get paid. Yeah, not even close. Does I mean, he even cover the penalties? No, not no, nothing. I mean, he's paying essentially a little more than $250 a year over the course of 10 years, maybe 2,500 approximately, right? 3,000, yeah. somewhere on there. But, you know, he owes under 25. 10 years, right? Correct. So, yeah, those would never get paid. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially correct. Now, with, with these financials-based installment agreements, what the IRS can do is every two years, they're supposed to come back and say, okay, are you making more money now? Mm. So provide us your financial information again. So, you know, you have to keep doing it, but if your finances haven't changed, then the result is you're not going to pay any more. Now, do you do this for personal and for businesses? Yes. Okay. So you're doing, you're seeing both sides of this. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Now, does it tend to be the business owner's? Or is there any difference in the percentage that you see get in trouble with the IRS? Well, it's it's approximately the same percentage as okay. far as like how much of my work is personal and business, okay. but they get in trouble for different reasons. Okay. You know, for businesses, oftentimes it's employment taxes. Okay. And for individuals, of course, it's typically income taxes or it could be trust fund taxes. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So now, you mentioned something about getting a lien off. Okay. There are a number of things with regards to liens. Now, if you, uh, if you have full paid the liability, for example, because typically when the IRS files a lien, they're not going to file a certificate of release because they, they send out millions of liens a year. So they're not going to do anything on their end to get it off once it's been paid. Is that what you're well, saying? Well, co correct. But the liens are self-releasing. I mean, for example, if you look at a tax lien, it literally tells you, okay, on this date, the lien is automatically released. So, you know, legally, it's it's released. Is that the 10 years? Basically. Now, there are things that can happen that could extend that 10-year time period. Okay. Okay, for example, you submit an offering compromise. While that's being considered, while it's being evaluated, the IRS is legally barred from taking collection action. Same thing with bankruptcy. Okay. So during the time period they're legally barred from taking collection action, that pushes that 10-year date out. Ah, okay. Yeah. So basically it starts after all of that is settled. The, um, well, that could happen in the middle of the time period. Okay. Okay. And the thing of it is, and this is interesting, is that the lien is 10 years from date of assessment. Okay. So things could happen that push the collection statute out to 12 or 13 years, but they don't push out the lien release date. Interesting. Now the IRS could refile. Okay. But they're legally allowed to, but they almost never do. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you can kind of delay the process and the lien date stays static at that 10 year mark, right? Well, yeah, you, you don't, it's, you're not intentionally delaying the process because the last thing you want to do is push out that 10 okay. year date, but, but things that you do may end up pushing out the date. If you file okay. a bankruptcy, for example, you know, you, you would rather that it doesn't push the date out, but it does. You just have to live with that. 
Have you seen people successfully fight this and work their way through the system without a professional? Not often. Okay. Typically, what ends up happening is the mess just gets bigger. Mm. Now, if it's a simple situation and the person is the type of person who is detail-oriented. And organized. Organized, willing to spend the time and effort, the hours upon hours upon hours, to learn the details of what you need to do and how, sometimes those are successful. But, okay. But typically, it just makes it a worse mess. Hmm. It's like having a wound and not treating it. So how often do you get phone calls from people that have started this process trying to get out of trouble and they're in the thick of it and it's not going well and now they're desperate? It, it happens reasonably frequently, yeah. I could imagine. Yeah. Because going into that, obviously, they didn't think it was worth the cost or did, maybe just didn't know of anyone. It's, it's both. It. It's yeah. both. I mean, the IRS does not actively tell people about who can help them. Right. So they oftentimes don't know who could right. help them. Right. And, you know, sometimes people, you know, you talk to somebody, like you call a number on the 1-800 screen, the television screen, and they tell you how much it is. And you say, well, that's yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. So you try it yourself. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's common. It makes sense to try, but you got to be careful. You don't want to make it worse. Well, if somebody wanted to get, reach out to you, if they're either in this situation or trying mm -hmm. to avoid this situation, how can they get a hold of you? 1-844-STOP-IRS. That goes straight oh. to my cell phone. Wow, you got a good number. Yes. <laughs> and email, do you want to give your email out? Sure, it's john, J-O-H-N, at delucci.com. That's and how do you spell delucci? That's D-I-L-U-C-C-I.com. And website? Do you have a website? Yeah, delucci.com. Awesome. Yeah. I'm so glad that you joined me today. Now we have helped people not only stay out of trouble, but how to get out of trouble as well. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. To oh, my that. pleasure. As always, I'm here to help as well. If anyone ever needs bookkeeping services, sakline.com, S-A-K-L-I-N-E.com, honest, accurate bookkeeping performed on time. Until next time, have a great week, everyone. By the Books is presented by Secline. Honest, accurate bookkeeping performed on time. For more information on Secline services or to get a hold of Lindsay, visit secline.com or email info at secline.com. The information provided on this website and podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available are for general information purposes only. Information provided by Secline may not constitute the most up-to-date legal or other information. Listeners should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter and should refrain from acting on the basis of this information without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information contained herein and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation.